Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Danielle Tate, a maternal fetal medicine specialist and the maternal medical director of TIPQC. Joining us today is Stephanie Cavello. Stephanie is the STI program director working with HIV, STI, viral hepatitis, communicable and environmental diseases and emergency preparedness at the Tennessee Department of Health. I had the pleasure of hearing Stephanie present at a recent meeting and knew this was information we wanted to share with our listeners. This will be the first of many podcasts in the series that will deal with sexually transmitted infection as it relates to maternal and infant care. Today, we will focus mainly on maternal issues. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, we are so excited to have you here today. Just to start and to give our audience a more detailed perspective of what you do and how you contribute to the state. Can you tell us about the work you are doing for the Department of Health and specifically more about the STI program? Absolutely. So uh, I currently oversee the Sexually Transmitted Infection Program at the Tennessee Department of Health. We have responsibility for prevention and surveillance of three bacterial STIs, although today we're talking specifically about syphilis. We also are responsible for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis. These infections are considered reportable diseases, which means we expect laboratories and providers to notify us of an occurrence of one of these infections. I wanted to mention this because complete reporting, along with the inclusion of pregnancy status, with this reporting is essential to the work we do and appropriately prioritizing that work. So if we know off the bat that someone diagnosed with syphilis is pregnant, uh, we will jump on that right away. We have at the health department a diverse team of staff that are located both at a central office in Nashville and throughout all of Tennessee at local health departments in every county. Our staff include nurses, epidemiologists, and disease intervention specialists, or DIS, which I just want to touch on briefly, So, since it's a role that, that is unique to public health and many people may not know about it. So uh, DIS are, like I said, unique to public health, especially the STI program, and their staff that are specifically trained to investigate STIs. They're trained to elicit sexual partners from patients ensure linkage to testing and treatment for both the patient and their partners, and counsel and refer those patients to other services. So in some ways, uh, they do do disease intervention work, that's part of the name, but they also sometimes function almost like a social worker. That's great. The team, the dynamic there sounds like an amazing one in order to make sure these issues are addressed appropriately 
and efficiently. Now, was this team and the dynamic of it the birth child of the state? The, was it a national level? Was it something that the creative forces on your team came up with as far as the dynamic? The DIS role specifically is something that is nationally found in health departments across the country. And so it's recognized that not only do we need medical staff to address some of these infections, but we need people who are community members who know how to find people in their own communities and are familiar with the resources available in those communities to help those people get the things that they need. So it's a national model, yeah. You spoke to this being, or the, at least the infections that you mentioned, being a reportable type of instance. Can you speak to more to how that goes and what that would mean for both patients and providers? Providers can send, we have a form, it's called the PH1600 form. So they uh, have a patient in front of them who's been diagnosed with syphilis, for example. Um, they can fill out that form. A lot of times in hospitals, what happens is they have staff maybe in the infection pre- prevention office that that do that reporting for the providers so an individual provider may not need to uh, send the information to the health department uh, just sort of depends on the setting a lot of laboratories are automatically sending this information through something called electronic laboratory reporting um, so that's a nice automated way to get the information unfortunately with those electronic lab reports we sometimes don't get pregnancy information which is really important and we'll have to follow up and call a, a provider to find that information out so fax email phone calls uh, electronic lab reporting uh, all sorts of ways whatever way you can send it we will take it You mentioned a social work aspect of this. How does that typically benefit or um, aid the provider and both the patient having that layer of help or assistance? Yeah, I mean, I I think that every patient has a sort of a hierarchy of needs, right? And the immediate need that we're addressing usually is that, that infection, in this instance, maybe a syphilis infection, but if it's a pregnant patient, they, they may not be in prenatal care. And so they may need a referral uh, for that. Maybe they need to get on uh, ten care, for example. So our DIS can be, in a way, a navigator to those other needs that they have that aren't necessarily immediately related to their infection, but are really important things to help them make sure that they get treated for that infection and that they are monitored throughout their pregnancy and not reinfected. That's, again, just such an amazing resource to have, and I'm glad we're able to get the word out about the DIS role and how it's very helpful not only in maternal care and infant care, but just overall care for our patients in the state. Um, Switching gears a little to talk specifically about syphilis as it relates to maternal care and infant care. I know as of late in the past few years, we've seen there has been a rise in both maternal syphilis or syphilis that is um, first discovered or infected during the pregnancy and then congenital syphilis on the side of the infant born to the mother with syphilis. Can you tell us more about what we've seen as of late in the trend in the state? Yes, absolutely. So syphilis in general has been increasing nationally and in Tennessee since about 2000. 
in the last 10 years in Tennessee, the number of syphilis cases has tripled. So we had maybe less than 1,000 cases. Now we're seeing over 3,000. This increase has been mostly in the early stages of syphilis, so primary and secondary syphilis stages, which are the most contagious. Um, to your question, while men and men who have sex with men still make up the majority of syphilis cases in Tennessee, in the last five years, we've seen a really concerning increase in syphilis in women and syphilis in men who have sex with women. This is extremely concerning because it's also resulted in a corresponding rise in congenital syphilis in Tennessee, and we're also seeing that rise in the United States. Just five years ago in Tennessee, women made up 15% of new syphilis infections, and in 2021, they made up 30% of new syphilis infections. So really, a really st stark increase. With that, we're seeing nearly five times the number of pregnant patients with syphilis in a single year. So we increased from 34 pregnant patients in a year to 143 and the number of congenital cases has increased similarly over the same time frame. We went from seeing one or two cases in a single year to seeing 36 in 2021. Geographically, we're seeing congenital syphilis cases all over Tennessee, uh, with at least one case reported in 10 of our 13 public health regions. So almost every jurisdiction in a single year is reporting at least one congenital syphilis case. Uh, though there are definitely some regional trends and we've seen uh, the greatest increases in Memphis, Shelby County. Uh, these increases are obviously extremely alarming. That's why I'm here today. Uh, but I do want to highlight that we're also preventing more congenital syphilis than ever with the increase in the number of pregnant patients with syphilis. In three of every four pregnant patients diagnosed with syphilis in Tennessee, congenital syphilis is successfully averted. Obviously, we want it to be four out of four of every pregnant patient has congenital syphilis averted or doesn't get syphilis at all in their pregnancy. Wow, the statistics are just, I mean, astonishing. Specifically, not only the numbers, but the fast rate that you're seeing the increase. I mean, five years is not a lot of time when you think about the grand scheme of, of birthing and life. Um, is there anything that you can say or that you've seen in your deep dive into this topic that could be contributing to such staggering increase in rates that we're seeing in the state? Yeah, there are a lot of contributing factors, I think. Um, some are very difficult to address, things like substance use disorder, poverty, unhoused status, other social determinants of health that can make finding and effectively treating uh, both women and men, uh, very challenging. But for congenital syphilis specifically, one of the biggest associated risk factors that we've seen is the mother receiving late prenatal care or no prenatal care at all. Um, and I don't know that's necessarily contributing to the increase. Um, I don't have data to say that there are more women out of prenatal care, but 60% of the women over the last 10 years in Tennessee who had a congenital syphilis baby um, had late or no prenatal care. And obviously, as you mentioned, syphilis screening usually occurs in those prenatal care visits. Um, ideally, we want screening in the first trimester, the third trimester, and at delivery. But if a mother is screened too late, there may not be enough time to successfully treat them prior to delivery. 
treatment of the mother needs to be initiated at least 30 days prior to delivery. And unfortunately, one of the consequences of syphilis during pregnancy is, or can be, preterm delivery. And so those early screenings are really essential. Um, So we do see a lot of women who were screened very, very late in their pregnancy and then therefore uh, can't be treated in time. And that that definitely contributes to to the increase. Um, Other things that we see are women who are screened and successfully treated, screened in the first trimester, for example, successfully treated, but then they get reinfected during their pregnancy by an untreated uh, male partner. So this highlights not only the need for that third trimester screen, but also identification and treatment of all sexual partners of these mothers. And this can be like super challenging. Um, It's not something that people always want to talk about. This is part of the role of public health, as as I mentioned, but I do encourage all physicians to remember this when they have a pregnant patient in front of them who's been diagnosed with syphilis, at a minimum trying to assist us with educating that patient. I know that physicians already do this, but educating that patient on the importance of getting their partners treated, even if that patient doesn't want to share their partners with you as a physician, you know, trying to encourage them to share that information with the public health DIS when they reach out to them, reminding that patient, hey, a DIS from the health department is going to reach out to you about this, and you can confidentially tell them about your, the names of your partners, and those partners will be notified without your name being revealed. So just sort of supporting the, the work that we do and reinforcing that these services are confidential and they can feel safe in sharing that information um, is something that would really assist in, in trying to address some of these things. And as it relates to congenital syphilis, is this something that you're seeing more that is diagnosed during the pregnancy or in the hospital following delivery or even remote from birth? It's a mix. We definitely have been getting more, not I wouldn't say more, but we have seen infections diagnosed at delivery, which is obviously not ideal. Um, the worst case scenario is an infection identified in a child a few months after birth. Um, that has happened a handful of times, but it's not been super common. Um, I would say probably the majority of the infections that we know about have been identified during the pregnancy, um, but there is a good proportion, I don't have a number in front of me, that are diagnosed at delivery, which is a little late. And sometimes in some of those instances, that's a woman who's showed up to deliver her child and did not have prenatal care. great. I do believe efforts like this will keep the needle moving towards what we need to see ultimately happen to get our rates back down. I I know we would both love to see, and everyone listening, see a 0% rate of syphilis cases, especially as it relates to pregnancy and infant care. You mentioned earlier a little bit about social determinants of health being one of the contributing factors as a whole to the rates that we see when speaking to healthcare providers or your other community partners uh, when it relates to pregnancy care and infant care, is there anything that we should be specifically screening for or maybe putting more of our effort towards to make sure patients have stable resources for certain social determinants of health? You know, one thing that we 
worry about a little is the, the patients who are being seen by providers who aren't used to seeing uh, pregnant patients, so non-OB providers who may encounter a pregnant patient who has syphilis. Um, I think one of the things we want providers who are in emergency departments or in urgent care settings to remember is these is these rates and that a pregnant patient who enters their clinic this might be this might be the only care that they're receiving and they may need to if they can um, screen them for syphilis if they haven't been screened or make a call to public health and we can give you syphilis history on that patient so that if they're outstanding, they have a syphilis infection that hasn't been treated and we haven't been able to find them, you can treat them at the door. Um, I, would, I would say that, you know, a lot of the patients that, we did, we did a study in Tennessee where we looked at, um, you know, factors that contributed to a woman diagnosed with syphilis and pregnancy having a CS baby versus not. And those women who had the CS babies had far more emergency department visits in a we looked at uh, a number of things, but one of the things was um, hospital discharge data. And those women had a lot more emergency department visits than than our non-CS mothers. So that tells us that some of them are using emergency departments for care versus, uh, and they may not have a regular OB provider. So um, this may not be a super helpful message, but it is one of our ongoing challenges is how to reach that population um, at whatever touch point they are, they are meeting the healthcare system. You're exactly right. This reminds me of recent guidelines that have changed surrounding hepatitis C, where there is a push for urgent care, emergency room, one time only encounter providers to screen for hepatitis C. It sounds as if syphilis can move in that direction thoughtfully, but I know a lot of my colleagues may have pushback in the sense that this is more than just a one-time encounter type of treatment plan. Is there something that you could recommend if someone were to listen to our podcast today say, well, I'm going to start screening in my triage area or in my emergency room or even labor and delivery during delivery? Is there a way that something could be set up potentially with the local health department to assure this patient gets the continuity needed to get the proper treatment for both her and um, the infant, whether or not she's pregnant or just delivered? Yeah, so ideally this is a, this would be a partnership. If there's a patient that's in front of you, you know, we'd, we'd get that that information via our normal reporting mechanisms that I talked about in the beginning. Um, but if there's a concern that this patient could be lost to follow up, that, that, you know, they need three doses of penicillin and we're not sure if we're going to be able to get them in, reaching out to your local health department to let them know about that patient is important. Some of the things that we do to make sure that patients come in for treatment, we will give them bus passes. We'll send an Uber to their house to make sure they make their appointments. Um, we can do things like that to increase the chances that they come back for their treatment. Um, so seeing your local health department partners as, as partners <laughs> and, and you know even getting to know who the STI staff are in your local uh, whatever jurisdiction you're in, I, I, you know I would highly recommend that. Obviously you can't know everybody, especially if you're you know in an emergency department that's not necessarily practical, but um, at least knowing the phone number for local public health and saying, hey, the, 
this is a person who's going to need some additional services. Hopefully we would figure that out anyway as we tried to reach that person. Um, but an extra, an extra bit of information doesn't hurt. And as best as you can get uh, residence information, phone numbers for that patient, um, the better information we'll have to try to close that loop. So speaking a little bit more to syphilis treatment in pregnancy, can you speak to what the standard guidelines are for treatment of a patient who is newly diagnosed in pregnancy? Sure. So we encourage all physicians to follow the CDC STI treatment guidelines. These were updated in 2021. They're available online, and there's an Apple and Android version, so you can download them if you if you need them. Um, there's also a really excellent clinical resource called the STD Clinical Consultation Network. This is a free clinical consultation service that's provided by expert faculty at, at the uh, regional STD prevention training centers. So this is part of a national network of STD training centers. So they have a group of clinicians that are um, available to answer complex questions about all sorts of patients. So it's a, it's a particularly handy resource for more complicated patients. But generally, providers, as I mentioned, should engage local public health if a pregnant patient doesn't return promptly for their treatment. Uh, we can assist with helping them determine the most appropriate treatment because we have, we may have additional syphilis titers for that patient to help a clinician decide if this is an early infection or a late infection, which may change their treatment decision. Uh, syphilis is typically treated with uh, benzathine penicillin, a different dose depending on the stage of syphilis, but there are obviously some more complicated scenarios if a patient is allergic to penicillin. Um, so with that said, syphilis is very complicated and there isn't necessarily a one size fits all treatment recommendation, uh, but that generally penicillin is a, the first line treatment. Um, I will say many providers have seen few to no syphilis in their careers and, and may need to, to brush up on how it presents, how it's diagnosed and treated. But more than anything, my message would be that providers should not hesitate to reach out for help to do whatever they need to do um, to prevent even a single case of congenital syphilis. So if there's any question at all, using one of these resources or reaching out to their local public health department partners. And then uh, finally, in terms of monitoring throughout the pregnancy, I just wanted to reiterate that that early third trimester testing, um, doing that more routinely um, with patients is, is not a bad idea. And then and especially doing it with the ones that, you know, have, have a syphilis history. Um, so that we have time to re-administer treatment if it's necessary. Can you speak a little bit more to the use of the titer monitoring as part of the plans or decisions for further care for either the pregnant patient or the infant? Yeah, so it's possible that, you know, mom had a syphilis test within the last year, um, or longer than that ago, and that suggests that they may have had syphilis for a long time and been untreated for a long time, which means they need, need more penicillin potentially than they would if this was a new infection. 
Um, so if we have documentation that they were infected with syphilis two years ago, uh, they had a positive syphilis test, I should say, two years ago, um, and we don't have any documentation that they were treated, um, that would be a really strong indicator that they may have a latent infection, um, which is would require a different treatment. Okay. And I really want to go back and emphasize the resource that the health department provides through your team when it comes to treating syphilis in pregnancy and also the congenital syphilis infant. At times, as you mentioned, many providers may encounter this every once in a while and guidelines change a lot of times between the next patient and the last. But just to really emphasize the resource that providers have, whether it's a physician, midwife, nurse practitioner, nurse, uh, medical assistant, to be able to come to your team and ask questions about the updated guidelines, desensitization. It sounds like even maybe asking someone for your team to come and give a talk or an education to the providers within their practice or hospital system. It seems like a unlimited source that is so great and we want to make sure to really emphasize that the state has great support in these cases. Um, I know a lot of times we don't really talk as much about syphilis as we do other STIs, especially as it relates to pregnancy, but I can't highlight that enough. Is there anything else you would want the audience to know about potential resources that you provide for the healthcare providers across the state? Absolutely. So, I will just reiterate the, um, you know, that you can call the health department for those syphilis titers so the, for a history for a patient of treatment or testing. Um, you can either call the local health department or uh, send an email to syphilishistory at tn.gov. Sorry, that's syphilis.history at tn.gov. Uh, additionally, the health department, I mean, not only can help providers, but they're a resource for the patient. Um, we do as much as we can to make sure that patients receive adequate treatment. So you mentioned earlier that sometimes providers don't have you know, that bandwidth to track patients down or, or to do certain things beyond um, you know, the, the time that they have them in the patient room. Um, but we reach out to patients via phone call, we do home visits, we visit the places they hang out, we, we send letters, we do whatever we can to try to find that patient. Um, and, and get them get them treatment, especially pregnant patients. We can arrange transportation services to make sure that they come back in for their treatment um, at the health department. Um, the, this is obviously really labor intensive. This is one of the biggest things that we do is trying to find these patients and their partners. Um, a recent study by another health department actually found that it took 20 to 25 DIS touch points to prevent a single case of congenital syphilis. So there's a lot of health department work that goes into trying to prevent congenital syphilis, um, get, get patients treated, get their partners treated. Um, and you know, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but just wanna reiterate the partner services role that we provide. So we, we provide partner services is what it's called to all of our syphilis patients, especially our pregnant patients. This is free and confidential. We have staff that are specifically trained to work with patients and elicit their partners, find those partners, get those partners tested and treated. And this work is absolutely essential to preventing the spread of syphilis as well as presenting reinfection of a pregnant person. We want providers to know that we do this. 
so that um, they can encourage patients to cooperate with us in this work as best as possible. And um, even, even saying something to them like, you know, you may have a partner that you don't want your primary partner to know about or me to know about, but it's okay to share that information with the health department. They will notify that partner without mentioning your name. Um, just encouraging them to disclose information to us that will help us with our work um, is, is something that would be super helpful. And that's about it. Well, thank you for joining us today, Stephanie. And I can speak for many providers across the state when I say we are so appreciative of the work that you and your team are doing and the resources that you're providing for the patients across the state. TIPQC will feature additional podcasts on pediatric and maternal experts addressing care for infectious diseases in this population. So please join us next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.